Good morning. You can do better. Good morning. Well done, thank you. Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Northminster. Whether you're joining us in person or online, we are glad that you are here today. If you're visiting with us this morning, we offer you a special word of welcome and hope that you will join us in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. Um, This table is open to all who are here. This is not my table. It is not Northminster's table. This is God's table. And if you have any questions about how we do communion here, you can find those instructions in your order of worship. We would appreciate it if you'd fill out and pass the attendance register that you'll find at the end, center end of your aisle down uh, the row. We promise not to show up at your house, but we do like to know who is here and worshiping with us. Uh, as we begin our worship this morning, I want to highlight a couple of things. Of course, our prayer list. Do please continue to keep those folks in your prayers. And also our second hymn today, which I think is maybe new to all of you. It's one that I like that uh, Debbie said, yeah, we can do that one. Um, Not necessarily hard, but new. So if you're not feeling real confident, listen to the choir. They'll sing out for you. Uh, I I think you'll enjoy it. And now I'm going to ask that we take a moment and take a deep breath together. And I do this every week because I need it. I need to stop and take a minute and find my footing. And I think other people might need that too. So take a deep breath. Allow that breath not only to fill your lungs, but let it go all the way down to the tips of your toes. And as you breathe in, breathe in the goodness of this welcoming open place. Breathe out your to-do list. Breathe out all of the details that come with starting school. Breathe in again. Know that you are loved just as you are by our creator. And then let us worship God together.
so I had a member at my church in St. Louis that liked to say uh, that pastors were professional Christians. And you just watched the professional Christian mess up twice. So I apologize. It took three whole weeks for me to get here. Would you please read our scripture for us? I, th- I thought it was me. <laughs> Hear everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your earnings for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the people's a leader and commander for the peoples. Now you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Now it really is my turn. Friends, let's pray together. God, you have called us into a wholehearted relationship with you. You have asked us to leave behind all we possess and live out our faith with passion and integrity. We thank you for the deep love you have shown toward us. And we ask you forgive us when we take our relationship with you for granted. When we let the fire of our early commitment cool and allow other things to take priority in our lives. Give us strength to hold on to you no matter what comes our way. Give us courage to wrestle honestly with the things we don't understand, to continually work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to grapple daily with what it means to faithfully follow you. We are your chosen people, chosen and named by you. Grant us your continued blessing and mark us with your love as we seek to live as your disciples in the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
A reading from Genesis chapter 32. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O eternal one who said to me, you must now return to the land of your ancestors and to your own family. I will make good things happen for you. I know I am not worthy of even a little of all the loyal love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. You have already blessed me because I left home and crossed the Jordan with nothing except my staff. Now I have grown into two large camps. Rescue me now, please, from the hand of my brother, from the grip of Esau. I am afraid that he might come and crush us all, the children alongside their mothers. Remember, you told me, I will make good things happen for you and make your descendants as many as the grains of sand on the shores, which are too numerous to count. And Jacob prayed on. Later that same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and he crossed the Jabbok River. He sent them all ahead across the stream along with everything he had. But Jacob stayed behind, left alone in his distress and doubt. In the twilight of his anguish, an unknown man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he was not winning the battle with Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was thrown out of joint as he continued to wrestle with him. The man said, let me go, the dawn is breaking. Jacob responded, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then the man asked, what is your name? Jacob replied, and the man said, you will no longer go by the name Jacob. From now on, your name will be Israel, because you have wrestled with God and humanity, and you have prevailed. Jacob said, please tell me your name. The man asked, why Jacob, asked Jacob why he wanted to know. Right then and there, the man blessed Jacob. So Jacob called the place Peniel, because as he said, I have come face to face with God, and yet my life was spared. An ancient story of wrestling with the holy. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray together. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. So in seminary, I had three male friends who made time every week to watch House Hunters together. Uh, these guys were roommates. They lived in an apartment at a complex uh, there in Atlanta called Lake Louise that absolutely did not have a lake. <laughs> they were exceptionally close friends. They spent a lot of time together. We all were. We had this wonderful little seminary bubble that we lived in. And for whatever reason, they enjoyed watching this HGTV program. Guys in their mid-20s, they watched it and they enjoyed it so much that they would routinely turn down other gatherings because they were watching House Hunters. 
Now, one night, my roommate Natalie and I, she was here my first Sunday, we were uh, just privileged enough to be invited over to watch with them. We were really curious, why was this show so intriguing? So we went, and we discovered they enjoyed it because they had made House Hunters into a game. Points were awarded if the people were looking for a vacation home, and each time they talked about a budget over a million dollars. <laughs> Nitpicking details about flooring and light fixtures was worth 10 points, as were comments about a lack of beach access. Middle-aged white folks tripping over the national language of whatever foreign country they had decided they were going to move to was worth 15 points. And after seeing an episode with a toilet that looked out over this gorgeous canopied rainforest in Central America, toilet placement became their gold standard for an excellent episode. But the most interesting part was watching my friends watch House Hunters, because throughout the show they debated how and why the home buyers went on this program in the first place. Had they always wanted to be on TV? Did they really get three houses to choose from? How did someone in their early 30s have millions to spend on an apartment in downtown Paris? What would motivate a 70-year-old couple from Indiana to retire to Turkey? <laughs> why him? Why her? Why them? And why not us? <laughs> now, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but the truth is we've all asked some version of that question, and there is rarely an answer. With the exception of very clear situations of abusive power and people choosing not to pay attention, think Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, the Catholic Church, the Southern Baptist Church, most why her, why him, why them moments add up to the choices we make or don't make every day. Other times, the answer to the question, why me, is just sheer dumb luck or a decided lack of luck. And then there are stories like this morning's text from Genesis in which the answer to why him is this. Because God said so. That's it. This story about Jacob wrestling with God is, at its core, a story of undeserved blessing, because to put it nicely, Jacob is a jerk. As you're likely aware, Jacob's name means trickster, supplanter, or heel grabber, because he comes into the world holding on to the heel of his twin brother Esau, who's born first. Second born, Jacob is his mother Rebecca's favorite. And his long journey to where we find him today begins when he steals his brother Esau's birthright by hoodwinking their father Isaac. Then afraid for his life, after he has deceived his brother, Jacob runs away and keeps running for decades. Along the way, you'll remember he marries sisters Leah and Rachel, gets into a conflict with his father-in-law Laban, from whom he also flees, until they finally reach a peace treaty in the chapter just before this morning's reading. Now at peace with Laban, this morning's story finds Jacob again in fear of his brother, who, despite all of these gifts Jacob has sent him, is planning to meet his younger brother with an army of 400 men. Always the trickster, Jacob sends his multiple wives, his multiple concubines, his 11 children and all of his possessions across the river for protection, 
and waits alone for Esau. As Dr. Amy Merrill Willis points out, this is a rare event. Like most twins, Jacob has virtually never had a solitary moment. Since his conception, he has been tied up and entangled with at least one or another human being at any given moment. But it is in this rare moment of solitude that Jacob encounters God. First, in Genesis 28, God comes to a sleeping Jacob in a dream and makes a promise much like the one he made Abraham for land and numerous descendants. Later, after Jacob is married, God again appears in his dreams, commanding him to return to his homeland. Then in this morning's third encounter, God comes posing as a dark and disguised threat, not a protector. It's important to note, however, that while Jacob identifies the other wrestler, the text never does. This has led to commentators uh, to a variety of explanations over the centuries, including that this dark figure might be Esau coming for vengeance. Others suggest that Jacob's inner demons have come calling. But despite the text's crypticness, it, it's pretty clear when you listen to the story that Jacob is attacked by this stranger, which leads us to wade through some difficult questions. If this is God, why would God attack a human being? What's to be gained in spending hours physically wrestling, engaged in this struggle with Jacob? If this is God, what do we make of God striking, hitting Jacob in his hip and knocking it out of socket? Shouldn't be God be the clear winner of any physical struggle? Is this a test of character or a test of faith? No matter the reason for the attack, Jacob is stubborn. He will not submit. Again, as Amy Merrill Willis says, in some ways, this is not a new response, for Jacob was a wrestler even at his birth. In the Hebrew, there's a close connection between the name Jacob and the verb for wrestling. It's pretty much the same word. But in other ways, this is new behavior for Jacob. Rather than being sly and running away when threatened, as he's done before, in this instance, he fights openly and persistently. In those final moments, as Jacob and his opponent pant for breath and drip sweat, dawn begins to break. As fingers of light appear, the attacker realizes Jacob isn't going to give up and hits him hard enough, as I said, to knock his hip out of joint. That's pretty hard. Despite being fairly casually mentioned, the force behind such a blow would have to have been excruciating. And yet Jacob holds on. Eventually, he'll get the blessing he demands. But first, he's given something much more important, a new name. The stranger tells Jacob his name is now Israel. And as one commentator observes, in so naming him, the man appraises Jacob's character. His new name is wrung from his opponent as if his life depends on it. And indeed, it is this tenacity that's honored in Jacob's new name. For as the text says, Jacob is given the name Israel because he has striven with God and with humans and has prevailed. Jacob is convinced. You can tell from the story. He's convinced 
It's God with whom he wrestles. And as we think about this story and, and what to do with it, let's make that our basis of understanding as well. It says much about God that instead of punishing Jacob's conflictive character, God challenges and reshapes it so that Jacob is able to live into his promised destiny. Jacob's story is our reminder that in a life of faith, there is no one model which we have to conform or submit to. God not only allows us to have all kinds of temperaments and personalities, even one maybe not so good as Jacob's, God actually creates us to have all of those unique traits. My friends, the good news this morning is that like Jacob, God meets us where we are as we are, right now, in this moment. That's why there's no room for those why him, why her, why them questions when you're seeking to follow God, at least not when those questions are personally motivated because God chooses who God chooses. This is proven over and over again throughout the biblical text. Imperfect, shifty people are chosen to be patriarchs and matriarchs, leaders and judges, prophets, and the very mother of God. <coughs> Excuse me. Like Sarah's story from last week, Jacob's story reminds us that God is unconventional, irreverent, and subversive. Unless we be tempted, again, to domesticate God into a mild, passive deity who simply supplies our needs and comforts us in times of heartbreak, we would do well to remember Jacob's story. Jacob came away from this encounter with unbounded blessing, but he walked away limping, a man permanently marked. The rest of the good news this morning is that the same God who is immediately engaged with us the same God who seeks us when we are at our most vulnerable, the same God who offers us blessing, is wily, unpredictable, and dangerous. So engage with God, and you might walk away limping. Engage with God, and you will absolutely walk away with a new name. You will be God's.
As we begin this service of communion and gather around God's table, we honor creator and creation. We celebrate the table fellowship of Jesus. All are worthy and all are welcome here. As we receive the fruits of the Spirit, we celebrate the communion of all things. Creator, Christ, and Spirit dance as one, so may it always be. Now, if you would, join me in the Lord's Prayer on the insert, printed on the insert of your order of worship. Holy God of the universe, as expansive as all there is, and as close to each of us as our breaths, with reverence we acknowledge your many names. With love we praise your unconditional grace. With devotion, we seek to be agents of your compassion. With kindness, we join your ongoing work of creation. And with praise, we share in your ministry of mercy. Your divine presence among us evokes our desire for the lasting peace that is your will. With gratitude for the many gifts of multifaceted sustenance you give, we seek a world in which all people will have food to eat and clean water to drink. Mother and Father God, you bless us with your mercy for imperfect people and empower us to build a blessed community. To you alone, Holy One, with highest praise, we give you our minds, hearts, bodies, words, and deeds are all forever. Amen. On the night that he was handed over, while at supper with his friends, Christ gave us a pledge of love that does not go away with death. That evening he took bread, he gave thanks for it, and he broke it. And then he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, all of you. This is my body, surrendered for you. And then when supper was over, he took a cup, he filled it with wine, gave thanks for it, and shared it with the disciples, saying, Take and drink, all of you. This is the seal of my new covenant, my poured-out life. I will drink this cup with you again at the table of God's joy that is coming in the new day that has been promised. And whenever you do these things, remember me. <laughs> 